How we doing, guys? All right. I love it. I love it. Man, it's a packed house tonight. The first NFL game of the season, and you guys are in church tonight. Heaven is going to be awesome for everybody who's here. Hey, because it's packed, if you guys have any room, can you kind of scoot in to the middle for everybody who's kind of waiting for some seats? Um, while you do that, let me just say welcome. Welcome to week two, night two of our relationship series titled Pillow Talk, subtitled How to Do It Right. Is that borderline? Or just enough edge to get your attention? I'm not sure. I'm really not. But here's what I do know. At Red Rocks Church, when it comes to relationships, we get real. We really do. We have fun, but we get real unapologetically. And when it comes to tonight's topic, very challenging topic of sex, yeah, I said it, of sex, I'm going to do my absolute best to handle it with as much love as I possibly can. But let me just remind you really quick, when I say love, love by definition is two things, grace and truth. And you have to have both of those things, right? Grace and truth. The grace of Jesus comes in first and it redeems us and forgives us and picks us up and reminds us that we're white as snow and that we're holy and that we're blameless and that we're not now, nor have we ever been, nor will we ever be better at sinning than Jesus is at saving. God's grace is more powerful than your deepest, darkest regrets and sins. Do you believe that? It's important that you believe that and that you know that. Grace happens first and then truth comes in and truth is like medicine. Truth can tell us how it is and sometimes call us out. Truth makes us better. It makes us more like Jesus. Grace and truth, and you have to have both, okay? And so tonight, through the, through the lenses of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ that makes you holy and blameless sitting in your chair right now, this is going to be a truth kind of talk, the kind of truth that says, yeah, God loves you just the way you are, and he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. The kind of truth that says, hey, you are welcome here. You have a home in this church. You are not alone here. Get in here. Oh, but by the way, you're way too valuable to walk out of here the same way that you walked in. And God will convict and he will change you. Why? Because he is love and he does love. And when it comes to millennials in 2017 in the United States and when it comes to the topic of sex, we need, desperately, we need all the grace that we can get. But we also desperately, you guys, we need truth. We need truth. All right? And so turn to your neighbor and say, you can handle the truth. You can do it. You can handle it. It's about to go down in young adults tonight. Hey, does anybody actually have a Bible? Like you have a physical Bible? Oh, man. God loves you more than the rest of us. I'm kidding. If you thought I wasn't kidding, I am. But I love you more because I'm not God and I can play favorites. So Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to start tonight. Um, we're going to get into the story. I'll give you context as we go. Genesis chapter 25, starting in verse 21. Here we go. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Moral of that verse, pray for your spouse, pray for your future spouse. Apparently, God likes those prayers, right? Jump to 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. How would you like that description of you as a baby in the Bible, in the most famous book in the world? 
God was like, yeah, put that verse in there. I like that. He was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment, so his parents named him Esau. Esau is Hebrew for Chewbacca. (laughs) After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau, the older brother, became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob The little brother was content to stay home among the tents. So classic Esau, guy's guy, right? A hunter, outdoorsman, his father's favorite. And uh, Jacob is the very first mama's boy that history ever records. Really, look, Isaac, the dad, had a taste for wild game and he loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. I don't know what, like in the Old Testament, there's like a theme of parents picking favorites. I'm not sure why, but it's all over. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country after spending a weekend hunting, and he was famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew because I'm famished. And Jacob replied, okay, I'll give you some stew, but first, sell me your birthright. All right, and so a little context here. As the oldest son in the family, Esau had a birthright that made him heir to Abraham's blessing. What was that blessing? In one word, basically, that blessing was everything. And Esau's birthright was his ticket to it. So if you remember earlier in Genesis, God came to Abraham and called him and said, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you like crazy. I'm gonna make you into a nation. Your descendants are gonna be more than the stars in the sky. And then Abraham passed that same blessing down to his son Isaac, who was gonna pass it on to his son Esau until this day. Until he came home hungry and Jacob said, hey, give me your blessing. Give me your entire future and everything that God has for your life and I'll give you a bowl of soup right now. Literally, I'll give you a bowl of soup, Esau. And Esau says this, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright to me? Like this is the first ever account of being hangry. And all of, like, talk about being dramatic. Like, I'm so hungry, I'm gonna die. What good is my future? Give me the stew. He says, Yes, I'll take that trade. But Jacob said, Jacob's cunning and smart, and he says, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him and sold Jacob his birthright, his everything, his future, his ultimate for an immediate, right? His ultimate for an immediate. He gave it all to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread. In some lentil stew, he ate it and he drank it, and then he got up and left. And so he traded God's ultimate plan for an immediate taste of satisfaction, right? Thank God none of us can relate to Esau. In case you were wondering if Esau ever regretted it, we find out in Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 17, this is the message. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. I love that it's called that. What is it? Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing back, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears, okay? So Esau gave away God's lifelong gift. He traded God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. Now that framework right there, I want to take that framework and apply it to the topic of sex tonight, okay? Because we sometimes think culture and the world came up with sex. Sex was actually God's idea. Can I get an amen? Amen. 
Yeah, God created sex as a passionate, pleasurable, oh, I said that in church, intimate and powerful gift for you to enjoy and experience. Can I get another amen, please? Yes, but how many of us have Esau syndrome when it comes to sex? Trading away a lifelong gift for an in-the-moment, fleeting, here-today-gone-tomorrow taste of a little bit of satisfaction, right? How many of us have Esau syndrome when it comes to sex? Like, I know this sounds weird, but this is so true, and I want you to, to take this away tonight. God has a vision for your sex life. And it's good. He really does, and it really is. And the world wants you to trade that ultimate vision for something much, much less. And I am here to tell you, your life is far too valuable for you to give that away. And I've been praying all week that you would walk out of here with a little bit more reason to not settle. And so tonight, if you're taking notes, we're going to call this message, Sex in the Golden Years. And that's going to make a little bit more sense at the end. Sex in the golden years. Are you ready? Are you ready? Nobody? Let's go. We're talking about sex in church. So we better start with some prayer. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray shame away from this room. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray guilt and condemnation out of this room right now. God, life is just too good and too short to waste it with nonsense like that. So in the name of Jesus, shame be gone. Spirit of God, take over. Jesus, come to this place tonight. God, would this glorify your name? We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. So since sex was God's idea, then what is God's vision for it? I don't know if you've ever thought about the fact that the very first gift and command that God ever gives to Adam and Eve back in Genesis in the very beginning was be fruitful and multiply, right? So I love a quote by a pastor by the name of John Mark Comer. He says, you know, people say all the time, oh, the Bible, it's just a book full of a bunch of rules. And absolutely, yeah, it is. And the very first one of those rules is to have a lot of sex, right? <laughs> it's the very first rule in the Bible, we were created to be sexual way before we became sinful. And so other than obviously procreating, we're not going to talk about that tonight, God created and designed sex for three specific things. Here they are. To be passionate, to be intimate, and to be powerful. To be passionate, to be intimate, and to be powerful. And so let's go through those three one by one, starting with sex is passionate. How do you love these notes? Sex is passionate. So back to the beginning, in the garden. I just picture Adam, before Eve was around, in the garden, sitting on a rock, just naming animals like God told him to for like years, right? Giraffe, oh gosh, flamingo, I don't know, frog. And then God was like, this dude needs a friend. It's not good for man to be alone. He puts Adam to sleep, like sneaks up behind him like divine sleeper hold. Shh, shh, shh takes a rib from his side and creates Eve. And then when Adam wakes up from his nap, the very first thing that he sees is a naked woman. And I'm not kidding you, he sings the very first song that history ever records. Like this is a good day for Adam. This is a good day for Adam. So let's recap God's vision for sex so far up until this point. A husband and a wife naked together in an all-inclusive paradise with the command to have a lot of sex, okay? 
So maybe you grew up in youth group or a church where they said sex is, is bad and it's evil and it's shameful. So, you know, just wait till you're married, right? But sex was God's idea. Now we pervert it and we distort it and we make it something less than what God intended for it to be. But make no mistake, sex was God's idea. The original beautiful design came straight from his heart. Like sometimes we think, like we think like in the garden, like Satan snuck in while God wasn't there and like told Adam and Eve about sex. And then like God is like coming back from running errands or something and sees them and is like, no, 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 no. Adam, get off of her, you pervert. That is not what I gave you that for, Adam. But that's not what happened. It was God. It was God who said, be fruitful and multiply. Eat and drink your fill and enjoy each other. All right, his vision for love and sex, specifically just in regards to the passionate side of it, is all throughout the Bible. Here's just one verse in Proverbs 5. This is a little bit PG-13, so earmuffs if you need that. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice. I love that. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts, no giggling, Connor, <laughs> satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. And so God wants you to have a passionate sex life. Like your desire to experience passion and pleasure is not evil. That's not sinful. That's actually from God. And it just works best when you handle it in a godly way. Like there's actually an entire book in the middle of your Bible called Song of Solomon. And the whole purpose of that book is just to be a collection of very explicit poems about a husband and a wife enjoying the gift of love and sex with each other. So apparently God's not trying to rob fun from you when it comes to this whole sex thing. Thing. And apparently what you need is a better vision for your love life, a bigger vision for your sex life one day. God's vision for your marriage. He created it to be passionate. Number two, he also created it to be intimate. Here's Genesis 2, 24 through 25. A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh through consummating the marriage. He's talking about sex. It unites two people. Adam and his wife, this is one of the best verses in the entire Bible. We're both naked. That's not just talking physically naked. That's in, like vulnerable in every way that you can possibly imagine. Completely known by somebody else, yet they felt no shame. That was the intention. So sex was created to, 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 uh, to unite the souls of two people. In the Old Testament, there's actually a Hebrew word, the word dode. It literally means this. I love this. The mingling of souls. Sex was created to be a mingling of souls. So if you think about that concept within the, the context of marriage, that's awesome. And that has power to bring so much intimacy, to bring two people together. But if you think of that concept outside the bounds of marriage, that is dangerous dangerous to cause serious harm when you unite your soul with another soul your life is never the same from that point on 
which is why he designed it to be experienced within the safety of a covenant relationship, within marriage. Why? Because contrary to popular belief, sex is not just physical. It is deeply, deeply spiritual. That's why your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend was never the same again after that point that you had sex. Because it's not just physical. And you know it's not. Like, you don't have to agree with me about anything else tonight in regards to, like, Jesus or God or Christianity or faith. But please, 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 please do not be ignorant enough to tell me that sex is just physical. You know it's not. It's not just physical. If it's just physical, then why is there so much shame involved? Especially when it's not handled correctly. If it's just physical then why is it that you're so secretive about pornography if it's just physical? Why is it that when you were touched inappropriately as a little kid and it wasn't your fault, it's now 20 years later and that still haunts you? Why is it that women who get physically assaulted are far more likely to report it than women who are sexually assaulted? It's because sex is not just physical and it marks you in a deep way. And in the right context, it is amazing and intimate. And in the wrong context, it is dangerous and harmful. Because not only is it passionate, not only is it intimate, but number three, sex is powerful. It's powerful. 1 Corinthians 6.18. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Really quick, that culture in Corinth, we have something in common with them. Because both our culture and theirs, they're both sex-obsessed and saturated cultures all right and so you can just pretty much imagine paul writing us writing this to us in denver in 2017 he says this flee from sexual immorality flee from it because it's not like other sin all other sins a person commits are outside the body but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body so like when I talk to people over coffee or in my office about like their deepest regrets, nobody talks about like those jeans that they stole from the mall, right? Or that math test that they cheated on or that Lamborghini they stole from the dealership or that casino vault they robbed in Vegas. Like we're getting extreme here. I'm just trying to make a point. They talk about deeper things, much deeper things, things that marked their souls, like that one-night stand or that two-year relationship or that incident when you were little that wasn't even your fault because those things stick. Sex might be the most powerful thing under the sun, and because of that, it has a profound power to bring two people together in, a, in an amazing and lasting way, and it also has a profound power to hurt and damage people in a, in a, in a very profound and lasting way as well it is not just physical it marks people in a profound way and that's why God gives us boundaries that's why God gives us rules when it comes to sex it's not because he's trying to rob your fun away from you if that's still what you believe that like God's this cosmic killjoy up in the sky who just wants to take your fun you need to get that nonsense out of your head tonight he's not trying to rob you God is trying to protect you like if you were to go to, if you were to go to Home Depot tomorrow and buy a chainsaw Home Depot would give you a manual with guidelines and rules. Is that because Home Depot hates you? That's because Home Depot understands the power behind the machine that they just sold to you, and they care about you keeping your arms. And so they're going to give you guidelines. God is not trying to rob from you. He's trying to protect you. God wants your fun. 
more than the world does, okay? It's just the devil who comes in and perverts it and twists it and makes it seem like something that it's not. God is way, for, way more for your joy than you are, way more for your joy than the world is. Do not let the devil trick you. He is a liar. Take an honest assessment of the world. There are sexual patterns in this world, and they are working right now for nobody. For nobody. The devil's a liar. Like statistics right now, not my opinion, statistics say that people who move in together before marriage are 73%, like 73% of the time, they end up getting divorced before their fifth anniversary. Before their fifth anniversary. Rich Wilkerson Jr., a pastor in Miami, he said, man, that's, that's kind of like hopping into the passenger seat of a car with no seatbelt, driving 90 miles an hour, fully aware that there's a 73% chance that you're going to crash and go straight through the windshield. Like it's insanity. Living together before you're married, five to six times more likely to have an affair. Like seriously, like this is, this is reality right now. This is reality, but we still get our sex advice from the world. We're still under the impression that you have to test drive the sexual relationship before you buy it. And I'm thinking, we're still on that? Like are you kidding me? You need to figure out if you're compatible? Are you a male? Is she a female? You're compatible, bro. It's going to work. <laughs> Newsflash. You're compatible sexually with 3.5 billion other people on this planet, but you don't need to test it. You don't need to get your sex advice from the bachelorette or from the VMAs or from the radio or from your unhappy friends. Like if I'm trying to be financially free by the time I'm 20, I'm not going to go get financial advice from my broke friend. And if I want a successful marriage with a passionate sex life, I'm not going to get my sex advice from a world full of wildly unhappy people and a 50% divorce rate. That is called insanity and I want more from my life than that. I'm believing in a bigger vision for my marriage and my sex life than that you need to leave here tonight with a better vision for your marriage you need to walk out these doors tonight with a bigger vision for what God has in store for you as opposed to what the world does or else we'll take this bowl of soup again and again why do we do that so easily right it's because the devil is a good liar the devil's a good Liar, don't buy it. The media is going to tell you that everybody out there is having sex and everybody's finding exactly what they're looking for by having sex. They're not going to tell you that that's not true. Nobody's finding it outside of God's vision for it. We're a sex-obsessed culture. There is sex everywhere you look and it's working right now for nobody in the world. Levi Lusco said it this way, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. It's like we are dying of thirst, stranded in the middle of an ocean full of undrinkable salt water. Sex everywhere, and it's working right now for nobody. Do not trade his ultimate best for an immediate, in the moment, here today, gone tomorrow, good. You're worth more than that. Your life is more valuable than that. So, Here's kind of the, uh, the imagery that God gave me uh, earlier today. So story time or imagination time, okay? Imagine right now that the world of sexual immorality is like a forest. So right now, right here, I'm standing on the brink 
of this forest, and it represents the world of sexual immorality. And from my vantage point right now, man, it's like straight out of a fairy tale. Like I've got like birds chirping and like a river with like Bambi right there drinking from the river. There's like a rainbow. It's like the most inviting thing in the world, right? And every step that you take, like every time you go home with that guy, every time you go home with that girl, every time you look at porn, you step, and it's just one, like, what's, what, what, what big deal is one step, right? But every time you take one step at a time, deeper and deeper into this forest, and what you're doing is you're aligning your mind with the patterns of this world, is what you're doing, okay? That's why sleeping around is training yourself to have an affair one day, because you're training your brain to always be looking ahead to its next sexual partner, that's why living together before marriage is, tr- is practicing having a divorce one day. It's because you're creating in your spirit, in your soul, this sort of exit door mentality that's going to have you running for the hills as soon as, as soon as things get tough, right? But one step at a time, one, one compromise at a time, one decision at a time, one bowl of soup at a time. And before you know it, it's not a fairy tale forest. It's dark and haunted and scary and you don't know which way is out anymore. And here's what you need to hear. Eyes right here, so important. Number one, two things. Number one, the grace of Jesus Christ covers it all. I'm going to say that again so you can amen just a little bit louder this time. The grace of Jesus Christ covers it all. All right, shame off of you regardless of how far you've wandered into this forest. God's love is stronger than your mistakes. You are not more powerful than his grace. I promise you that. And tonight, you can have a fresh start. Tonight, you can get a new vision. Tonight, you can get a new mindset. Tonight, you can have a new beginning regardless of how many new beginnings you've already had because his grace is new for you every single morning. Do you believe that? You believe it? His grace is just that good. Number two, consequences of sexual sin are just as real as grace is. And that grace meets you in that forest, and you're white as snow in the middle of that forest, but it does not teleport you out of it. You experience heaven in the middle of the forest, but you do not get a helicopter that can take you back to where you used to be, all right? This is real. Consequences are real. Like, this ain't a game, and don't expect to take six months walking out of a forest that you've been walking into for six years. It just doesn't work like that. Like, logically, it just It just doesn't work like that. And for some of you, this might be a journey, an already but not yet kind of journey that you are in for. But I promise you, every step is worth it. When I married my wife, she was a virgin. I was not. Purity was never something in my life that was too high up on my priority list. And the only reason, hear my heart on that, literally the only reason I am grateful for that testimony is the fact that I can stand up here on stage tonight as living proof that his grace is bigger than your past. And shame is a trap. Shame is a trap. Condemnation is a trap. And your life is too good and too short to waste it with nonsense like that. The devil's a liar. Don't buy that. And every step that you take out of this forest is worth it. Every little battle that you fight and you win is worth it. I promise you. I promise you. But I bought the lies, you know. 
everybody's doing this. Everybody's finding what they're looking for. This will add to my life. This will help me know what I'm doing on my wedding night. I just call out that BS right now. Like there's nothing more beautiful than a husband and a wife on their wedding night coming to the marriage bed with no clue what the heck they're doing. (laughs) Nothing more beautiful than that. And God's grace gets you back there. I've seen it in my life, but I bought that lie. This won't hurt anybody. Turns out, it does. Like, have you ever wondered why there's a constant fog in your life? Have you ever wondered why you seem to feel less and less whole as the years go by? There's a reason, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that sexual sin is not like other sin. This is a different kind of monster, and we need to flee from it as fast as we can. So in college, um, I became a Christian around the exact same time as a few of my best friends became Christians. And uh, when we accepted Jesus, what we realized was all of us, we've all kind of wandered pretty far into this forest, and it might be time that we start trying to find our way back out. Time to start figuring this out, right? And so um, my friend Sam, and I asked him for permission to share this, don't worry. That's how you know the story's gonna be good, by the way, (laughs) when you have to ask for permission to share it. Sam right now is, uh, and this might get PG-13 or even a little R, so Connor, if you want to leave now, (laughs) is your chance. Sam's one of the godliest guys that I know in my life, but um, on this night, this was like a couple months into knowing Jesus, Sam was at a party, and he uh, was drinking a little bit, and he met a girl, and uh, we'll call her Delilah. I don't know if that was her name. I've never met her. I'm sure she's awesome, but we're going to call her Delilah in this story, okay? And uh, a little bit of context, in our Bible study that we had just started, we all kind of started reading the Bible at the exact same time, and we were reading the story of Joseph in Genesis. And uh, there's one scene in that story where Joseph is in Egypt. He's working for a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of Pharaoh's highest-ranking officials, a very, very powerful man. And Joseph was put in charge of Potiphar's household. And so one afternoon... While Potiphar was gone, Joseph was home alone, just him and Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife came up to him and tried to seduce him. And there are so many jokes I want to make right now. But I'll just stick to saying that she was the original desperate housewife. And that's as far as we'll go with that. And if you guys know the story... Joseph, not only does he say no, but he flees the house and runs halfway across Egypt to get away. Flees sexual sin in order to get away. So anyways, Sam, at this party, Delilah says, do you want to come back to my dorm room? And Sam says, yes. And they go back. And Sam just read this story in the Bible this morning. And you thought the Bible was boring. It's not. This is why you need to read it. He read the story on the same morning and that night finds himself in Delilah's dorm room. And not to get graphic, but we we talk about real life in this church. Things started to heat up and clothes started to come off. And I'll never forget Sam telling me the story. He said, and then Delilah went into the bathroom and as soon as she shut the door, like there was a haze that he was in that he just like snapped out of. Like the Holy Spirit just like, just like came over Sam in that moment, right? 
And he was like, what the heck am I doing? And he like freaked out and jumped out of her bed in nothing but his boxers, just totally panicked with no time to grab any of his clothes on the floor and flees out of her room down the hallway and runs clear across the University of Colorado campus all the way home. I love that. You imagine seeing Delilah like the next morning on your way to class like, oh, hey, I'm late for class, sorry. Those jeans were really expensive, I need those. Um, when it comes to sexual sin, 1 Corinthians 6, you cannot flee fast enough. What Sam did is not legalism, that is wisdom. And you might say, well, that's unreasonable and a bit extreme. I'll give you that. I agree with that. And I'll take it a step further. It is only unreasonable men and women who are willing to go to extreme lengths who will truly find freedom from sexual sin in their lives and walk all the way out of the forest. It's only unreasonable men and women who get to do that. Purity ain't for the faint of heart, man. It's not. Do not reduce that word to the Jonas Brothers in purity rings and think like it's sissy like I did for so many years. Purity is a lifelong fight before marriage and after marriage to never settle for anything less than God's ultimate best in his vision for what he has for you. You are worth so much more than just a few bowls of soup. You're worth so much more than that. Connor was telling me a story about a year ago, he uh, was at his grandparents' place, and he walked into the bathroom and um, picked up the casual reading book that was sitting on top of their toilet, and he looked at the title, and guess what the title was? Sex in Your Golden Years. And he was like, oh, gosh! And, like, he, like, fled, too, you know? But I love that, probably because it's his grandparents and not mine. I love that, because that is a couple with a vision for their love. That's a couple with a vision for their love. Like, I wanna be that one day when I'm 65. I wanna have that book out on my coffee table. Like, what's up, grandson? That's what I'm doing when you're not here, by the way. <laughs> so, men in this room, you can be 65 years old one day and still be enjoying the wife of your youth. If you, if you stick to God's vision. Or you can compromise and settle and take bowl after bowl of BS, of soup, and have, you know, that empty hookup. Watch porn again for another night. Have that meaningless affair and reap what you sow, and your destination will be part of the growing statistic of very desensitized and unhappy men who have erectile dysfunction by the age of 30. That's real. And by that point, truly, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. But God's vision is too good for you to trade away. It's too good for you to trade away. God's vision is too available to you right now for you to just give up on it. 
Do not compromise. Do not settle. Do not buy into the devil's lies. He's a liar. He has no, he speaks, he speaks lies like you speak English. The patterns of the world in regards to sex are satisfying nobody out there, but God has a better vision, and I want to focus on that vision. I want to focus on something better. I want a bigger vision for my love life, and I'm not going to get entangled by the sin of the world, and I'm not going to be tempted to look back at my past and think that it dictates my future. God's not interested in your past anymore. He's interested from this night on in what he can do, and I'm focused on the future. I'm facing forward. I'm facing forward and believing for something more. I'm going to believe that 65 years from now, or when I'm 65, my wife and I are going to be having more fun, more sex, and we're going to be in more love than we are right now. And every bowl that the world offers me between now and then, I'm going to do that to it. Yeah. But you have to want it. You have to have the spirit of no compromise, the spirit of no settling but his vision is way too good for you to trade away way too good and you need a bigger vision a bigger vision for your love life you need a better vision for the sex life that God has for you you need God's vision for your marriage you need to not settle if you're sleeping around right now you're settling I'm sorry but you are if you're looking at porn right now you are settling for like something so much less a counterfeit version of something that can be so amazing for you and as long as you keep going down that road you will never find what you're looking for I promise you ladies in this room I, I felt like I was supposed to say this if you are living with your boyfriend right now because you're afraid of being alone I say this with so much love all right and I'm gonna quote Matt Chandler here your temporary loneliness now is monumentally better than your permanent loneliness. Trapped in a marriage or in the same house with a man who lost all desire to pursue you the day you said I do to him. Do not trade that. Any guy in the world can flirt with you and make you feel beautiful and chosen. Any guy in the world can flirt with you to get what he wants. Any guy can pursue you to get you to like him. And maybe you'll fall for it because you're lonely or maybe you'll settle because you're tired of waiting. Any guy can pursue you to get you to marry him, but only a man of the cross with a vision of God's best for his marriage will still be pursuing you like you're 25 one day when you're 65. I don't know about you, but that sounds like it's worth the wait to me. And guys in this room, any girl in here in the world can bat her eyelashes and make you feel like you're freaking Ryan Gosling. Seriously, though, any girl can have your back in the honeymoon phase and follow your leadership on the mountaintop. Only, though, a woman of God with a vision of God's best will have your back 40 years from now and will follow your leadership when it's time to walk through the valleys of life. And to me, that is worth waiting for. You need a bigger vision, a bigger vision, a better vision, a more clear vision. You need God's vision. And so would you guys stand? I want to finish this way. I want to talk about vision just for like three minutes because the Bible says without vision, people perish. And I believe with all my heart, the same is true for marriage. Without vision, marriages perish. 
And so I want to ask God to give us vision. Because when your marriage has vision, you're not going to have an affair. When your marriage has vision, you're not going to call it quits when the going gets tough. Vision is everything. And I want to say this. Do not let your vision be the vision that you see around you when you observe the world. Do not let your only vision for marriage be the mistakes your parents made. All right? I was thinking, I'm like, why do statistics just not seem to get better when it comes to marriage? And I'm, I'm thinking, like, that's because all we ever get spoken over us are statistics of failure, is vision of failure. That's all we ever get spoken over. So I want to speak a different kind of vision over this group tonight. I want to ask God for a bigger and better vision. Because right now, when you get married, the world goes, oh, 50-50 chance that's going to make it. Your marriage, flip of, a, flip of a coin as to whether or not you're successful, right? Oh, everybody has an affair, so you probably will too, right? Like even people, Christians, well-meaning Christians on your wedding day, wait for it. They're going to tell you, oh, marriage, the old ball and chain, the first year's tough, brace yourself. Only thing tougher than the first year is the second year, but that's going to prepare you for the year three because that's really hard. But year four just sucks, man. God be with you on year four. Years five and six are okay, but by year seven, you want to have an affair. And then by that, you're pretty much numb to it from that point on. I'm thinking, don't receive that from anybody, Christian or non-Christian. You don't need that for a vision for your marriage. Is marriage hard? Absolutely. Who cares? Don't receive that as a vision. Marriage is amazing. Receive that. Marriage is awesome. Loving one person for the rest of your life is amazing. Receive that in the name of Jesus. That is your vision, not the mistakes of the generations who have gone before us. And so would you guys put your hands out like this to receive this right now? God, I pray for a new vision, a more clear vision, your vision for marriage and for sex and for relationships over my friends in this room. Right now in the name of Jesus, I pray the vision of no compromise. I pray the vision of not settling, God. I thank you in advance and I'm expectant that you're gonna cut the divorce rate in half. 10 years, God, and I believe with all my heart that you could do even immeasurably more than that. That's the vision I speak over my friends right now in the name of Jesus, God. I pray for powerful marriages. I speak sex in the golden years over the marriages of everybody in this room. I pray for a generation that's going to change the world through the way that we love our spouses, God. I pray for marriages that are lighthouses and beacons of hope to a lost and dark and broken world that is so desperate for that that kind of picture of love right now, God. Would we change the world through our marriages? Would we change the world through our marriages? Would we never settle? Would we never compromise? Would we want more? Would we want your vision? Would you give us that tonight in the name of Jesus? Come on, would you guys lift up a shout of praise for Jesus Christ in this place tonight? Love it. God, we love you. You're the reason we sing. We live, we breathe, we love each other to glorify your name. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Young Adults, let's worship.